So between now and Easter, we're starting a brand new series uh, called Changed. And the idea behind this series is we just want to see what happens when you meet Jesus. I am convinced because I've seen it in my life. I've been able to see it in other people's lives. We get to read about it in scripture that when you meet Jesus, your life will never be the same again. So we just want to celebrate that. We want to see what that looks like, but also be looking at our own lives. Jesus, what do you want to continue to change in my own life? I have something up here that many of you probably know what this is. Some of you actually might not know, which is a sad, sad thing, right? What is this? This is a... A record player, that's right. So this record player, well, not this specific one. Sony came out much later. But the first record player, actually called a phonograph, but the first known record player was invented, created in 1877. It was created and it was absolutely life-changing for the music industry because it was the first time that music could be recorded and played back in a somewhat portable fashion. Like you could have had one of these in your home and it changed, like I said, the music industry. People's lives were changed because they could finally have music in their own home. 1877, something was created. Something was invented that would change everything. But something happened after 1877. After 1877, people said, you know what, that's great, but what about that's great, but maybe we could improve it. Maybe there could be something else happen. And so from 1877 all the way to today, 2021, this portable music device has undergone so many different changes over the years. From this, or a version of this, all the way to something like this. <laughs> over the years, change has been constant. There has been a continual change but it all started in 1877, the moment it was actually invented, the moment there was something actually created. Our lives are very, very similar. There's a moment in which Jesus gets a hold of our heart. I remember the day very specifically. For me, it was December 26, and I was nine years old, the day after Christmas. I was in church, and I said, Jesus isn't just something like I'm supposed to do. Like, no, it's, it's who I follow. And as a nine-year-old, there was tons I didn't know, but I knew that much. And I gave my life to Jesus at nine years old on December 26th. I remember the day, the date. And ever since that moment of saying yes to Jesus, my life has continued to change from that day all the way until now, and it will continue. Yours is the exact same. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you call him Lord and Savior, there's a moment you remember that you say, no, that's the moment that Jesus moved into my heart. That's the moment I gave my life to Jesus. But guess what? God's not done yet. He continues to move in your life. So if we were to consider ourselves something similar, there's a moment of creation, an initial change, and then we see a continual change happen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this about that new creation, that first moment. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life, big word here, has begun. It is the beginning of your new life. In church world, we say the phrase born again, new life, new creation. It's all starting. It's the 1877 version of the record player. Something's been created. You're a brand new person. Something new is about to begin. And that's the moment where you say, Jesus, my life is yours. It's not mine. Keep in mind, we do not do anything to earn that or deserve that. We're going to talk a ton about that this morning. But God's not done yet. The moment he gets a hold of your heart, 
The moment you say yes to him, that begins a lifelong journey of change. Because he's not done with you yet. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God's not done yet. He is not done with you yet. The moment he got a hold of your heart, and every day since, he's continuing to grow something in you and develop you. There's still so much we can learn. There's still so many areas that we need to grow in. And he's not done with you, and he's not done with me yet. This entire month, I want you to be wrestling with three different questions, and we'll keep coming back to these quite a bit today as well as the next three weeks. The first question is, what change has God made in me? Like, what has God already changed in me? You can look in your past and look in your history and say, wow, look what God has done. How has God already changed you? Then I want you to ask, well, how is God changing me? Like, what is he doing right now? What situations does he have in front of me? What difficulties are around me? What is he instilling in me? What passions has he put in me? What are my current situations and my relationships? Like, what is he doing right here, right now? How is God changing me today? How is he changing me? You're in the midst of it. But I want you to look ahead and ask the future question. How might God want to change me? What might he want to change next? Because he's not done with us yet. We are a work in progress. He is continually working in us. So how has he changed us? How is he changing us? And how might he want to change us next? Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you so much for what happens when we meet you. What happens when you get a hold of our hearts and when we surrender our lives to you. Thank you that our lives are radically changed for all of eternity because of you and your grace. Not by anything that we do, not by anything we could ever do, but it's only through your grace that you change our lives. So thank you. But I pray we don't just stop there. I pray we continue to follow you as you change our lives each and every day. So may our eyes be open, may our ears be open, and hearts be open to how you want to change us next. In Jesus' name, amen. Just like the record player, it started in 1877 and continued to experience change. I hope we never get to a place where we say, ah, I got it. I gave my life to Jesus. I'm done. Now, even though records and vinyls are making a comeback nowadays, people didn't look at the record player and say, ah, we're done. Constant change, continued change. And that's why we're going to be looking at different stories of people who saw and experienced change in their own lives, all because of Jesus. The story we're going to look at this morning is out of Luke chapter 19. You'll even notice we're getting closer and closer if you follow chronologically through the gospel of Luke, getting closer to the cross, which we'll obviously be celebrating the cross and his resurrection, Good Friday and Easter. But Luke 19, we get a familiar story with a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, if you don't know anything about Zacchaeus, you probably know one thing. What's the one thing you know about Zacchaeus? He was a... That's unfortunate. Let's just, let's just talk about that for a second. As a fellow short person, I find it mildly offensive that, that an author of a gospel, Luke here, wrote the gospel, and he felt it necessary to make sure that every generation from that day forward would know that Zacchaeus was not a, a follower of Jesus necessarily, but no, he was a wee little man. It's a whole nother thing. Thank you. 
Good spots for amens for all the short people. <laughs> now, Luke, as a side note, was a physician. He was a doctor, so it makes sense that he would want to record everybody's weight and height and everything. There you go. Pastor Bible jokes. They're not funny. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but as we all know, he was too short to, to, to do so. He was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. So there's a lot we know about Zacchaeus, and we're going to go ahead and move past the whole short thing. There's a lot we can learn about Zacchaeus just in a few verses. Yes, physically we get some attributes of him, but he was also a tax collector, not just a normal tax collector. What kind of tax collector was he? He was a chief tax collector. So he was in charge of the entire region. We're also told that he was rich. So if you are a tax collector, a chief tax collector, and we're very rich, we're going to make an assumption here, and it's actually not much of an assumption from what we're going to read later. He was also a cheat, meaning he would steal money. He would charge people more for their taxes than it really took. He would take money from his other tax collectors that he was over so that he would actually have more money. So, and if you're a cheat, if you're just trying to get more money, we could also make a slight assumption and get to the conclusion that he was probably greedy as well. So we get a pretty good picture of who Zacchaeus was. Chief tax collector, a cheat, was greedy. But for some reason, and I love this and I wish we had a better reason, for some reason he wanted to see Jesus. For some reason he just wanted to see Jesus. Now why? We have no idea why, so I'm just going to speculate and give some options because I think it might hit home with some of us. Maybe it was just the reputation. Again, we're towards the end of Jesus' ministry here, so maybe the reputation of Jesus had become so famous, so interesting at least, that here Zacchaeus just wanted to know what was going on, just wanted to say that he saw that man too, to hear about the miracles. Maybe he'll see something fascinating. Maybe he'll see something he can't understand. Maybe he just wants to be part of the crowd. So maybe he was just curious. Maybe there's another side to it. Maybe he was desperate. A lot of desperate people came to Jesus needing something, wanting something, asking for help, asking for a miracle. Maybe Zacchaeus was a little desperate. Being a chief tax collector that was a cheat and also greedy meant he probably didn't have too many friends, or at least not many close friends. That'd be a fair assumption. Maybe he was a little desperate and just needed someone, recognized he was missing something, and had heard of Jesus and wanted to give it a shot, regardless of why he went to see Jesus. I am pretty certain that he did not expect to experience the change that he experienced. He climbed that tree not expecting Jesus to talk with him, as we're going to see. He's climbed that tree and he's not expecting to experience a change that Jesus would give him. And here's why I want you to hear that. Because I would guess that there's people sitting in this room and there's people viewing online that you showed up today not expecting to experience the change of Jesus. You showed up today because it's another Sunday and that's what you do on Sunday mornings. You showed up because somebody invited you. You showed up, showed up because somebody dragged you. You showed up to get somebody that kept nagging you to shut up about you showing up. <laughs> You're here for some reason, curiosity, desperate, or just because. And what's fascinating about Jesus is he changes everything when we meet him. So you might not have expected to show up and experience change, but I know what happens when Jesus meets you. And that's what's going to happen with Zacchaeus. Here's the next part of the story, verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. 
And he called him by name. That's a big deal. Called him by name and said, Zacchaeus, he said, come down quickly. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They all grumbled. Don't miss what happened here. Jesus stops, and there's a whole level of compassion there. We talked a lot about that last month. We could spend hours talking about Jesus' compassion with Zacchaeus, but that's for another one. But what I do want you to pay attention to is Jesus stopped, called him by name, and said, I want to hang out with you. I want to be in your home today. Zacchaeus, I see you, I know you, and I want you to get to know me more. Here's why that's such a big deal. Because we would expect this story to go differently. We would expect, and I would say the people who are grumbling, I can't believe Jesus is going to go hang out in his house. Doesn't he know who he is? He's greedy. He's a cheat. He's a notorious sinner. And what we would almost expect is for Jesus to come to that tree, say, Zacchaeus, come down. I would love to spend time with you. I would love to be at your house today, but first. But first, Zacchaeus, before I go with you, before I go to your home, Before I'm invited into your life, Zacchaeus, I need you to change some things. Zacchaeus, I need you to fix this. I need you to stop that. I need you to start this. And we expect Jesus to require change before beginning a relationship. But that's nowhere in here, is it? It's Zacchaeus, come down. I want to be a guest. I must be a guest in your home today. No strings attached. No required change See, for you and me, what that means is Jesus meets us right where we are. He meets us exactly where we are. For Zacchaeus, literally at the base of a tree. And he meets us where we are. No change required. It's not I got to clean my life up first. It's not I need to get my life figured out first. It's not I need to fix this, change this, and then I can follow you, Jesus. No, he says, right here, right now, as you are, I'll meet you where you are, Zacchaeus. I want, to get to, I want you to get to know me more. But that's where the change begins. That's where there's something stirring in Zacchaeus. And I know that because of what we read in verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, these are Zacchaeus' words. He says, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, why we think he was a cheat. And if I've cheated anybody on their taxes, look, I will give them back four times as much. Crazy generous, that's a major change for Zacchaeus. He went from being a greedy, cheating chief tax collector. We still think he is a tax collector here. We have no reason to think he's not, but he changed from greedy and cheating tax collector to now a Jesus-loving, Christ-following, generous chief tax collector. There's a major change that happened in his life. Now, when we read through the story, and if you've heard the story before, we tend to focus on what he did, the generosity that he Gave. He went from being greedy to being generous. And yes, that's a major change, but there's an even bigger change that we don't always catch. There's a change that actually happened before he started giving all of his stuff away and, and righting some of his wrongs. See if you can catch it. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord. Again, his words, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated anybody on their taxes, I'll give them back four times. What did he call Jesus? Did you catch it? What did he call him? Lord, Zacchaeus, as far as we can read, for the first time, called Jesus Lord. Lord is an important word because a lot of people call Jesus teacher. Pharisees called him teacher. They didn't call him Lord because Lord means master. 
And if I say someone is a master, if I place that identity on somebody else, then I'm also giving myself a new identity, aren't I? If I say Lord, then I'm saying I'm servant. The posture of a servant is this. So for Zacchaeus to call Jesus Lord, Jesus, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. He's saying, you're in charge, I'm not. You're the king and I'm not. You are master, I'm servant. So Zacchaeus is now experiencing a change of identity that came from a changed heart. He called Jesus Lord and recognized his new place, recognized his new identity as a Christ follower, meaning a servant of the Lord. See, here's what happens. Before we change any of our behaviors, before any of our actions begin to change, something must change first. And it comes from the heart. It's our identity. There has to be a change of identity before there is ever a change of activity. And so often we try to flip those. We try so hard. Well, I need to do these things and do that right and say the right things. And we try to live a righteous life. Righteous is just a church word for right living. So we try to live a righteous life, but it's so difficult because our identity has not, has not changed first. The identity change must happen first because who we are determines what we do. Who we are determines what we do. Think of it this way. If you were to say, as an identity, if you were to say, I'm a student, well, students do certain things. So if you say, I'm a student, then you all, well, maybe I should say should at this next part. As a student, I should study. As a student, I go to school. As a student, I, and you begin to fill in the blanks of what a student does, right? If you were to say, I am a musician, then you spend a lot of time and money on music, you spend your money buying new musical instruments. You spend your time practicing. You go to concerts. You love music. Why? Because you are a musician. Maybe you were to say, I'm an artist. I'm definitely not an artist, so I have no idea what that means for you. But I would assume you do artsy things, don't you? And you spend your money on art supplies, and you frequent Hobby Lobby all the time. You do art stuff because it's who you are. If you were to say, I'm an athlete, maybe you say, I'm a runner, you're going to spend money on running shoes. You're going to run, whether it's rain or shine, good weather, bad weather, because you are a runner and that's just what you do. If you are a parent, oh, there's a lot of things you do just because you're a parent. You might, not, you might even say, I don't even want to do some of these things, but I'm a parent, so I do them. If you're a spouse, I'm a husband, so therefore I do certain things. I act a certain way. I don't do other things. The way I spend my money, let's just talk about this for a second. The way I spend my money as a husband is very different than the way I spent my money before I was a husband. My wife's not here this morning, so I can say those things out loud. I could not say that last service. I can say certain things when she's not in the room. <laughs> it always gets back to her, though. As a husband, I will apologize later. <laughs> Who you are determines what you do. And Zacchaeus experienced a change of identity. His heart was changed. All because he said the word Lord. Here's what happens next. Verse 9. Jesus responded, Salvation, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Salvation has come to this home today, 
For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Look, for the son of man, that's Jesus talking about himself. For the son of man came to seek and save those that are lost. Don't miss that. Seek and save. It wasn't just, oh, I found somebody that was lost. No, he said, I want to save you as well. He came to meet Zacchaeus right where he was. He sought after the lost, but he obviously wants to see change happen too. So yes, Jesus meets us where we are, but guess what? He doesn't leave us there. He came to seek and save us. Yes, he meets you where you are, but he refuses to leave you there. He wants you to experience change again and again and again and again. That's why Jesus came, to find you, to meet you where you are, but to also change you and to save you. Now, there's two parts of change that we see in Zacchaeus' story. The salvation side, the heart and identity side, but then there's also the actions, the behaviors and attitudes that we see that come afterwards. The, the order is vital here. Don't mix these up. Remember, the identity change has to happen before there's any behavior or activity change. Salvation is what Jesus gives us. We don't earn it. We cannot deserve it. Look at me. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. It's Jesus saying, I love you, and I'm meeting you where you are, and I'm giving you the gift of grace. It is truly a gift with no change required. He hands it to you if we accept it, if we believe and accept. Ephesians tells us that in, in very plain words. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, listen to the prog progression of change. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. If you know this, the wages of sin is what? Death, yes, the wages of our sin is death, which is why we need a Savior, because we could not do that. We could not take care of our own sins on our own. So we were once dead because of our disobedience and our many sins. Then flip over to verse 4, and man, these are probably the two most beautiful words you can read in all of Scripture. Verse 4, but God. So you were dead because of your own ways and your own rebellion and your own sins and your disobedience, but God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Jump down to verse eight. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. He gives it. That's salvation. Well, how do we receive that gift? We call him Lord. We say, you're Lord. You're Savior. I'm not. We recognize the need for a Savior. And we say, Jesus, help. Jesus, you have to take my sins away because I can't do it on my own. Jesus, I need you to move into my life. We recognize who we are without him, and then we invite him in to change who we are. There's a change of heart and there's a change of identity where we now call him Lord and Savior. That's salvation. He meets us where we are, but he refuses to leave us there. That's the moment of change. We read earlier out of 2 Corinthians that the new is here, the old is gone, there's a new creation, a born again, if you want to use those words. That's that moment of now I'm following Jesus and, and now he is my everything and now he's my Lord and now he's my savior. There's a new creation and the beginning of your life has now started.
but God's not done yet. Then there's continued change. Second Peter speaks to the continued change that happens after we say yes to Jesus. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. In view of all of this, and if you were to read verse 1 through 4, you'll hear that Peter's talking about that salvation we read in Ephesians, that promise and hope of eternal life, the gift of salvation. So in view of all of this, that Jesus in his grace has saved us, look, make every effort to respond to God's promises. So what happens the moment you say yes to Jesus is now the rest of our lives is responding to what he's done to us and in us. We are to supplement your faith. That means add to your faith. Supplement your faith with, and here's a great list. Supplement to your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And with moral excellence, knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. We're going to come back and talk through those in just a second. But look at why, verse 8. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's the difference of just saying yes to Jesus and yes, and I want to know more. It's what we see with Zacchaeus of your Lord, but now I want to start living my life more and more like you. Verse 9 shows the flip side. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So there's the change, the new creation, but then there's continued change for the rest of our lives. I can't believe they still make these, like not just the news, but like a physical paper. Like they actually make newspapers still. Do you know this? So I picked one up this last week and was flipping through the news and, and, and I, I've never seen this heading before, but before I talked about it and preached it and used it in a sermon, I wanted to make sure that this was accurate. So I picked up a, a paper and sure enough, I was right. I have never seen a heading, and I went through all the different, the different headings, the different areas here. This is obviously the Dawson County News. A heading that I have never seen in my entire life on the news or any newspaper is, no change today, same as yesterday. Never seen that before. Now, sure, we live in a world that's constantly changing and constantly adjusting. There's always something new. So why would we be okay in our own lives to say, no change, same as yesterday? No. Each and every day should be a new headline, should be a new story, should be tons of stories of how Jesus is continuing to change our lives. And every day is something new. And every day we're learning. And every day we're growing. And every day is, look at what he's doing in my life now. This is crazy. I couldn't think of anything else he could possibly do. And then he does this. May our lives continue to be changed by Jesus. In fact, may we be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. And then when you wake up the next day, say the same thing. May I be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. And guess what you'll do the day after that? May today, may today I be more like Jesus than I was yesterday. May we continue to change. But it begins with our identity in him, which is a gift he gives through his grace that changes our eternal life. And every day on earth, between now and then, we try to become more like him. So for some of you, you need to begin with your identity and say, I don't have that gift of salvation yet. I, I, Jesus has been offering it, but I've not accepted it yet. You start there. Ignore me for what I'm going to say in just a few minutes, but you start there and you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. 
move into my life and change me from the inside out. You start there and you call him Lord and Savior. If you've been there, if you have your new creation date, so to speak, your 1877, then continue to see Jesus and allow Jesus to change your life. Let me go back to 2 Peter and let me maybe put this in some different practical terms for you. That list that we just read through, it was very wordy. So let me put something up on the screen for you. Maybe take a picture of it, screenshot it if you're at home online. Here's the list that Peter gave. Now let me be very clear. This is not a to-do list. This is a to-be list. This is actually, ready for this? These are not just actions. These are characteristics of God. And we will not do this perfectly, but yes, we should move in that direction. Now if I want to be more like Jesus, if I'm going to be a Christ follower in every area of my life, then I need these to be shown. I need these to show up in every part of my life. And I need his grace to help me along the way to, to get there. So this is us becoming more like him, not just things to do and check off a box. Let me go through them. Goodness, that's the moral excellence. What are you known for? Knowledge, what am I learning? Am I living my life with wisdom? Self-control, convicting question. If you're not controlling yourself, who or what is? Perseverance, that's the patient endurance. How do you respond when it's not easy? Godliness. Which area of your life are you keeping for yourself? Another way to think of it is where are you still acting as God in your own life? Surrender it over to him. Kindness. How do you treat people? We talked a lot about compassion last month. It goes along with that. Love is more intense, a more intense version of that. That involves sacrifice. So do you humbly and sacrificially put others first? It's a to-be list, not a to-do list. And those actually are, almost act as symptoms of our salvation. Because I'm saved, those are just the things that I do because it is who I am. One last thing about Zacchaeus. You know what I wish was in that story? I wish I was, I was able to follow Zacchaeus' story through the rest of his life. Because we just get a small window into Zacchaeus. The moment he met Jesus and Jesus met him where he was at, the moment where his identity changed and he started to change his behaviors and his attitudes and his outlooks and his perspectives. But I wonder what changed in Zacchaeus' life a week after. I wonder if we were to see Zacchaeus a year after he met Jesus, how different would his life look? Because when I think of my nine-year-old self giving my life to Jesus and where I am today, there's been a lot of change in my life because of Jesus since then. And I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but I would imagine there's still a lot of change to go. Those three questions I asked you earlier. How has God changed your life? How has he changed you? How is he changing you? And what change might he want to make next? What does your headline on tomorrow's newspaper say? As each day you become more and more and more like Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the change that you have given us, the change of identity. And I pray for anyone that has not given their lives to you, that that's where it begins. That just like Ephesians say, we are not saved because of anything we do. We are not saved because of anything we could possibly do, but it's a gift given to us. So may we accept it and recognize our need for a savior because you came to seek and save us. And may we recognize our need for you. And after that identity change has taken place and our heart has changed, may we seek after you each and every day, asking ourselves that question, how can I be more like you today? How can I be more like you today? And may you radically change every aspect of our life to turn us into who you desire us to be. 
Jesus, you are our Lord. You are our Savior. Change us from the inside out and every day for the rest of our lives. In your name, amen.